no one needs needs to choose between financial and impact. They can coexist really quite smoothly. And in fact, the return on investment is, I believe, is higher when you combine those as one. Welcome to the Startup Palette Show. When you think of startups, you think of Silicon Valley. We're going to venture beyond the valley and paint a picture of the startup ecosystem featuring diverse founders, investors, and operators. We'll hear about their origin stories that shape them, the highlights, the lowlights, best practice, and their visions for the future. Join me as we get a front seat to witness the phenomenal role of these pathbreakers. I'm your host, Preeti Mohan. Let's get started. Today, we're joined by Priska Ongongadin, who is the founder of Bearsop. She's also a mother and a very passionate environmental advocate. Welcome, Priska. We are so glad to have you here. Talking about your roots, where did you come from? What was your childhood like? Thanks for having me and for giving me a space opportunity to to share my story and, and why we exist. And I'd also love to acknowledge the Indigenous community that owns this land and still on this land and to elders, present, past and emerging. I'm originally from Kenya, from a small town called in the west part of Kenya. So I grew up in a bit of Siaya, a bit in Nairobi, which is a couple of city, trying to go back to what my childhood was like. Look, I had a good childhood. I really very fortunate to have all that I needed and more. I never felt like I liked anything. And that, that's because obviously my parents owned their business and watch them work very very hard there is just obviously seven days a week starting from 4am in the morning until very late I remember my mom taking time off to go and make dinner and then back to the office so I would say that kind of gives a lens for me that just is the norm for me really like being conscientious and almost like you gotta make things happen but if you actually do put the effort in, it does come back. So how was it having parents who are entrepreneurs as well and watching them grow up? Like what lessons did you take away from that? Look, to be very honest with you, at that time, as a child in my teenagehood, sometimes it was actually annoying because coming back from school, you had to chip in, whether it was unpacking stuff or their boxes to be taken off the track, if someone's going to do it. And it didn't matter whether you were a girl or a boy, you, everyone had to chip in equally. Like there was no like, oh, he's male, she's female, at least from my dad's lens. And coming from a community where obviously being male, it's a very patriarchal community. My dad was actually quite different because his sons and daughters to be absolutely equal. And he did practice that by giving, giving us the exact same chores. Uh, it was kind of annoying because you really had no free time. There wasn't really like I'm back for holidays because I was in boarding school and now it's time to actually go and see my friends and relax and enjoy. There is no dull moment, right, when you're running a business? And you got to experience that super early. How has that shaped some of your thinking now that you are an entrepreneur, you have kids as well? Do they get to experience what you experienced? Maybe because I had that experience that I didn't really enjoy because obviously as a as a child or as a kid, you want to be a kid, right? And as much as obviously we had Sunday off for sure, 
And after work, you had that time off and we didn't have a say on, you know, when you give me that, that short task, I'm going to say yes or no, you don't even question that. So with my kids, I have been a bit more mindful to actually just not give them best of choice for them to do because that's my journey. It's not their journey. And obviously they also have their own commitments. They have the friends, they have schoolwork. And so if I give them a chore, I kind of have to pay them for it. My lens being formed by, by how I grew up has kind of affected how I relate to how I involve my kids in what I do. I mean, I'm so glad to hear you say that because a lot of us do fall into the trap of being our parents again. And you've learned from those lessons and you've taken a different route with your kids, which is amazing. Speaking of entrepreneurship, what led you to find your own passion in entrepreneurship? I can't say I can pinpoint exactly what that is. I think things do compound. So... For me, it could be that, you know, coming from a lens of my parents running multiple businesses and how they were able to actually cater for all of us. We are actually a super big family. We are a family of 24 kids. (laughs) You can imagine as a father trying to actually provide for all of those kids, provide for them in a way that, you know, we all went to, to good schools, we went to private schools and good boarding schools, but someone had to work to make that happen. And so my dad and my mom, and obviously I do have half moms because my dad had more than one wife. And so having that lens, obviously when I was in school, I was like, actually, I'd never want to be an entrepreneur because at that time as a child, I'm like, it's too much. I don't want to do that and I kind of want to form my own identity that is away from what my parents did because my, my parents were kind of known in the, in the neighborhood and so you kind of felt like you're seen as the daughter of and so my lens that was I want to do something completely different I want to get a job far away from here have my own identity where you know it's Prisca it's not my dad's name and therefore at school I always wanted to do something else and I think Journalism was one of the things that was drawing me. And that's really in terms of being able to change things, being able to actually champion for the ordinary person. But it's only after I did all of that, actually, I did go on and studied journalism and I did practice that for a bit. I got into HR, headhunting. And while doing all of that, I was like, am I enjoying this? Or am I just doing it because I'm trying to actually struggle to actually really not do what my parents did? Or is it actually my authentic journey? And when I was in headhunting on weekends, I would go to a, to a school whereby they teach you how to do pattern making because I knew I had an innate thing for, for fashion at that time and creativity and making things that many years ago. So on weekends, I'd go and do this pattern making. And during the week, I practiced my profession. Then... My partner at that time got transferred to Shanghai for work and I went with him. And when we went to Shanghai, something happened. I was just like, this is my opportunity now to actually do something because I needed to find a new job in Shanghai. That's when I started my first business and that was in sustainable knitwear, which uh, was was bought by a Korean chain. I think we that kind of gave me a list. First of all, I really enjoyed it. And secondly... The, the results of that kind of gave me that 
conviction that, and I really did like it. So I was like, I cannot imagine going back to work again. When I was working, there was that thing of, I had all of these ideas and I was always questioning things like, but why are we doing it this way? Why don't we do it that way? I did enjoy it. And I was like, I think I have great ideas. So we are holding ourselves back as a team, as a company by not doing all of these things. Why I have to understand why I'm doing something. And I think there's that gap as well. You've mentioned something that a lot of entrepreneurs feel when they're in a nine to five job, right? But you feel like you don't belong you feel like you're limited and you're limited by the environments you surround yourself so how freeing was it exactly i'm sure it was equal parts difficult as it was rewarding what was that balance between difficult and rewarding oh my goodness super rewarding and i can tell for one thing i'm a hard worker i'm very concerned that comes from how i grew up and it's an innate it's just just innate like there's no other way around it i i am happier when I have a goal and I'm working towards it, it just gives me so much fulfillment and so much meaning. And it forms my whole being in my, my mental space and my physical space. So a lot lies on what I'm spending my life doing. But when I know what I'm doing and why, I immerse myself in it. And entrepreneurship has allowed me to do that, but in a way that I am not making somebody else rich. But, yeah. So... Knowing that I can put that energy and that passion and into something that I, w- I get the reward for is, is amazing, right? And when that links to like having that meaning behind it, like I know exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing, and that make that has made it really fulfilling because it, it is hard. It's it's very hard, and obviously you get tired and you have to self motivate because there's nobody else telling you, oh, get up now. This needs, to be, this needs to be done by when you have to motivate yourself to make sure you are kicking those goals when they should be kicked, right? And that in itself is obviously a whole project because, you know, we're all humans. We're not robots. So some points you're going to find when you're just like, I just can't do it today. But you, you have to. It's weird, but I kind of enjoy all of, all of those things. When I zoom in, I am living a fulfilled life because... I am experiencing everything. I'm experiencing the good and the bad and the difficult and the easy and the highs and the lows. And so I feel like when I finally see all die, like I would say I actually lived a full life. You did what you wanted to. I did what I wanted to do. And everything you've done so far is at the cross-section of impact as well as financial returns, which is often a cross-section that people find really, really hard to meet. 100%. And look, if it was only financial, i say I'd probably be doing something else. Honestly speaking, if it was for money, I'd just invest my money in, in, in some really good investment. But it's not about that. It's, it's like why, and that's obviously what, to what I'm doing right now, is why am I here? How much time do I have and how much impact can I have with what I have? I think that's literally in 99% of why I do what I do. And as much as sometimes I get the question of investors, yes, the impact is great, but you know, you cannot do everything. Why, why don't you bring that impact story second and not fast? Like, you know, fast is financial and then impact. But I said, no, it's parallel to me. I, and I'm like... Anyone who does who feels like that's not where they're going or that's where they need to invest, it's absolutely fine. 
Ah. I know exactly why I'm doing this and I will not compromise that. I think you're right because it's investing for the future in a different way through the lens of impact. And so often we hear conversations that limit us and limit our potential impact on the world. How, how do you tackle those conversations? I believe that you don't have to choose. No one needs, needs to choose between financial and impact. They can coexist really quite smoothly. And in fact, the return on investment is, I believe, is higher when you combine those as one. Obviously, for me, impact is leading. But because it's leading, our financials are where they are. So if impact wasn't leading, your business wouldn't be the business that it is now? A hundred percent. Let's talk about, actually, before we talk about Bearsop, let's talk about the previous business. You created and designed tote bags for hotels. That's Puntamilea, which actually means zebra in Swahili. So at that time, we were living in, in Vietnam. And I was seeing all of these bags, you go to the market and everyone has them, you know, this is, it's on every bike, on every motorbike, like at the back, because families use these bags to, you know, to go to the market, to carry their wares to the market and back and forth. They're literally seen like, I'm a step up in the community. And I was like, these are cool bags. But I wonder, obviously coming again from my creative sort of elements, like, oh, this is great, but what could we do with it? Mm. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. And I was like, if we, if I just recreated these weaved bags with different colors and maybe add a bit more of detail, we could actually do something with this. That's thinking from my entrepreneurial lens. And started to actually think about, these are made of plastic, right? Because they were plastic. Like, what if we actually did that with recycled plastic? And there's so many, there's so much, and I love Vietnam, but there's so much plastic and waste, you know, everywhere. I'm not sure why that is. And I'm being very mindful, right? But that's just a fact. And so I was like, what if we actually use recycled waste of plastic to make these bags? Is that even possible? And so my good friend, Min, who actually is Vietnamese-Australian but lived in Tanzania, we had a connection because we, we was spoke Swahili, speaks Swahili, and she's also she's also very passionate about the difference. So we kind of came together and designed these bags from recycled waste from Japan and added a few elements and approached results, like your Denang in, in Intercon, for example, and say, hey, you guys are actually, you know, the channels that create a lot of waste. How would you like to come along the journey, do something a little that we think your customers and would actually appreciate? So they're like, yeah, of course. So they, they sent us their brown colors and we created the bags for them and they used the bags in their, in their hotel rooms and for their customers. And then from then on, more and more results started coming in to the journey. But really it was like, how do we help them do something, just a, a, a small piece of the puzzle, right? to be on this better side of history. And within that as well, we also thought during the process, we actually found out that the weaving as an art was actually, is actually disappearing, right? Because right. everything's being automated and the art of like sitting down and weaving, like like slow, it's almost like, like the slow creativity or slow produce is disappearing. And so we also learned that communities that actually their livelihood is based on weaving. But when this is disappearing, they have no income because that's the only skill, intergenerational 
that they've had, right? Many communities that were doing this in Vietnam, where I was, they were really starting to actually feel the pinch. So we were like, how do we make sure that we bring them along the journey so that they actually still get an income and they keep this art continuing as well? So we worked with small intergenerational families to actually weave the bags. So since leaving Kenya, you've obviously lived and um, also started businesses across a number of countries, let alone regions. How difficult or easy was that to find a completely new audience, work with new suppliers, work across borders? How was that experience? Well, I'll be very honest with you. When I went on to that journey, I didn't think it was going to be as hard as it was. But I can tell you why. Because having done the Kashmir business, I then went and actually did another business that's based on like sustainable silk. And it was called Fisca. And so because I'd done it multiple times, it kind of it's really kind of wide. I know exactly what to do first, second, third and fourth. And within that, obviously, there are blocks. Because, for example, with the bags, I can tell you to even find... We, we were finding like to make the bags, the quotes we were getting were going to be almost impossible to sell them because if something costing you, let's say $50, who, who, who are you going to sell it to, you know, to actually make money, to actually even make more bags, leave alone to actually make a profit, to actually do anything with. So that was really hard actually in, in Vietnam to just find a community that was going to kind of give us a better price. And also, there's also the thing of, oh, you need it more than we do because these communities actually, you know, they have contracts with other, uh, other companies and they have a bit of volumes. So the logistics of getting something out in time, the way that you vision it in your head was challenging for mm-hmm. sure. And you mentioned you've done several brands, so you know what's first, second, third, fourth. What is that order that you look at for consumer brands? <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm not sure I want to give all my secrets away, but no, but no, all, all good. So for me, well, let's say an example would be I want to start, let's say, a sustainable ranks, right? So I would say, okay, I'll just go on Google. Like, Google is your friend. Like, everything is on there. Like, it okay, is. where, you know, where, for that, okay, sustainable ranks, just to see, like, what's coming up. Kind of special, and then I'll go. Okay, which communities make authentic rugs, and then which one? And then I kind of do a research. Who are they supplying? And then I probably start to reach out to multiple people to see which one are most authentic and their stories and links with if it, if we, with the vision of what I want this to be. Obviously, that is everything. And then once I find that, then I go into the numbers into the unit, the unit economics, you know, how, how much to make, how much to like ship it um, to Australia, if, if it's being made overseas, and then start to see, okay, is this even needed? So I'll do a bit of research, is something that people need, and who needs it, and what's the demographic, and what's the sort of target audience, and then I'll really then do like start testing. So we start to test my assumptions with, at that time, now it's different, but you know, with... Now with, it's all digital marketing. Exactly. With... With Google Ads and Instagram, like what's what's coming up when I test, let's say these keywords, and let's say like I would even probably even just create something on Canva now, an image of what I think that would look like, and see like people engaging with it. What what feedback am I getting? And then I go and iterate 
based on the food I'm getting. It's funny, the reason I asked is because so many people with consumer brands, the first thing they look at is the branding. And actually, that's one of the things that you get to after all, all of this process. Yeah. Otherwise, you spend so much money. Like, because first you have to know your audience to know how to create your branding, right? And you can always change the branding. It's not stuck in market. So many brands that we know every day, like I've heard Johnson & Johnson actually change their packaging every week or something, and they do small changes to see how the market reacts, 100%. which is super interesting. I, I, 100%. I think having done all of those, and within that actually so many other businesses that I didn't even talk about, you know, we were at one point I was doing like, you know, what doctors and nurses wear for the hospital. You're scrubs for hospitals. So what I'm trying to say is like having learned all of this in-person experience when it came to bear soap, it's funny. I kind of was like, forget everything. You have to forget everything and start afresh because in my mind, having gone through, the, going through the process, I knew like I have an opportunity and responsibility, but in a way that I have never had it. Yeah. And so knowing that, I was very conscious and mindful to really make sure that I don't assume that based on what I did, it will apply here. And that obviously led me to, I was lucky enough to be accepted at the Monash Valuator Program to actually validate the idea and the concept. And I'm glad. And actually something I would say, like, of course, however much you have done, I mean, it's important to actually relearn. I mean, one of the best things I've ever heard is as an entrepreneur, you have to be able to learn, unlearn and relearn. Forget everything and start again because things change as well. Like, you know, the times change, the way things happen change and you can't assume the way you did something five years ago, leave alone two years ago is the same, leave alone actually a year ago, right? Things move so fast. And yes, just trying to say like, yeah, going through that volunteer program for Bear Soap and really bringing the community in and picking up the phone and talking to, I would say, we talked about 250 people on average and asking the question of what is their current experience? Like, how are they solving the problem? Is it even a problem? Are they even solving it? How do they see it? And what what, what they like and what's their current existing solution, if any? And, and just uncovering all those layers. And I would say... I'm so grateful that I went through that because it kind of did eliminate so many mistakes that we could have made very alone. I mean, we still did make mistakes. I mean, no one is perfect. Oh, for sure. Cannot be. 100%. So actually, that brings me to a good point. Like, making mistakes is what makes you learn. 100%. Tell us about the story of how Bursop started. I think it's beautiful. I read it on your website. Come back to Australia with this stepping down and really me going through this thing of like, what's my purpose? Why am I here? How much time do I have? Is what I'm doing now enough? Is that the best I can do? And if not, what does that look like? It was actually a very difficult time. It was almost like starting from scratch again and knowing like if you make the wrong choice, it's going to affect the rest of your life. You know, and what was I going to go? What was I going to be doing? So 
I was looking at a few things, going through like a, a few ideas in my head. And at that time, I tell my daughter, I'm like, oh, Hannah, we're talking about why she goes to school or why, like, what's her vision? I don't know how that convo came up. It's like, oh, I really want to have enough money to actually solve, clean up the, the Pacific garbage patch. Um, and, you know, mom, it's a, you know, it's going to cost trillions of dollars. You know, no one's doing anything about it. It's a big problem, you know, you know, like, you know. Jeff Bezos is not doing anything, you know, Bill Gates, I know he's doing a little bit like, but it's a big problem and what are we ever going to do? And that's why like I'm working hard, I, I want to do this. And I was like, hey, how about, how about we own that narrative? And again, that just comes from like the way I unveiled is I am not a victim of, I, I, I it's just not in my head. It's my authentic truth that I'm like, when I have a problem, how do I solve this? Like, who is going to solve this for me? But when you're doing something, it's actually an action that is happening, right? So why don't we, as a family, you know, start to say, like, what, what you can do better? Uh, we see that link to some plastic and all those things. And the kitchen was easy to be doing. And to be fair, we were doing a few things, more than a few. Uh, but we were not doing much in the bathroom and then starting to actually look at how that was going to work. Mm. Um, you know, driving to Melbourne to go to the bike store. And I'm like, this is not solving the problem for me. And then I went to like, you know, buy the big refills from Kohl's. I'm like, ouch, like we don't have so much space for this. And then I thought, okay, maybe I might open actually a refill station in my in my in the main street where I live in Elwood, in, what's it called, in Ormond Road. I'm like, wow, that's the real estate that's going to come with that. And then I'm going to sit in a shop and like all day, just, you know, like that. Just trying to knowing myself, knowing what I kind of going to do. It doesn't make sense. I'm like, oh my God. And that drove me into a manic and obsessive research. Well, what I love about this is you are a classic example of obsessing about the problem and not the solution. You're obsessed with the problem and you want to find a way to solve it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And really just, yeah, that, like using my assumptions, going and doing research, which was literally because I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that I had the time. So it was actually a full-time job. I, you know, I get up at five, you know, go for my run. And I literally, as the kids leave to school, I'm sitting there like until they come back. I'm like, because you, you, you uncover this and then you uncover that and you just like mind blown. What has it taken... So you developed the formula mm -hmm. on your own. Mm -hmm. How is that experience? Because this is, so previously you'd been in design yeah. and manufacturing and that sort of area. Yeah. And then now you're into chemical formulations. Oh, oh my God. When I asked myself, what's my purpose? I knew I wanted to do something bigger than me. And I knew what that was. I didn't know what that was at that time, but in my head, like in terms of like, why am I here right now? And what do I see my purpose is? That's it was very clear for me. And it was also very clear that it had to do with, with humanity and like shared humanity, like poverty and inequality and all of those things. And my lens was going back to, you know, I'm from Kenya, as I said, and I have seen like so many people, you know, who are left behind for no fault of their own. And knowing with a clear mind that those are the people I want to impact as well. And like, how am I going to do that? So I obviously started, okay, maybe we, we'll do a refill. And I went even to like, maybe I will, because obviously coming from, you know, creating products, I'll create this amazing bottle that is going to encourage people to literally not buy another bottle, right? But then I was like, hmm, it's actually solving the problem. So it was really like 
going from one to the next, like one then crossing off and crossing off, I came across the, the like tablet form um, with the US company. I saw they had just released, because through my research, we tried to find the solution, they just released like the tablet. And I was like, that's interesting because that could solve my problem, right? And so I actually did a person and say, hey, you guys, I'm trying to solve this problem in Australia. Can we work together? I, I, it wasn't become like, oh, I want to create my own thing. I just wanted to solve the problem, mm. right? And they were like, sorry, no, we are not doing that at the moment in Australia. Like we are just focusing on the US at the moment. I'm like, okay, fine enough. I tried to find a way to to create the same product, right? And knowing coming from, from a product development, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna do that, right? And then I asked a friend of mine who, she's, she's in chemistry, she's like researcher. Yeah, and she's like, oh, what do you wanna make? I, I was like, oh, actually you can just, what do you mean you can just go on to Alibaba? <laughs> what? She's like, yeah. And she said like, there are all of these tablets on Alibaba, like what do you even mean? So I was like, oh, that's interesting. So then I was like, but actually they're all made in China I kind of don't want that because I was my research had shown me that people actually want authentic solutions you know that are mindful to their skin and you know whatever all of those things right I want the same but made in Australia right so as I just talk to people like how can we make this and they're like no we can't you have to get this machine and that machine to do a b c and d I'm like is it not the same like a tablet no it's not the same tablet in terms of like a watch the oh because my head I was like the same machine you used to make like a tablet right mm. should be the same machine you used to make no it wasn't and then within that while going through that journey I was talking to my community as well like would you I did I did a monkey survey I did I think I paid for like a thousand surveys from one of the survey companies and what was coming back to clear yes that's great for us to clean the house and everything else but i would not use that on my body and i'm like oh really why oh because they think oh because it is you know it's, to me it comes across as that it's got chemicals in it and i just would not use it on my body i'm like oh I am trying to solve the problem in the bathroom i'm not solving the problem in the household mm-hmm. in all together so if you're telling, if somebody was saying like they, they, they want use it, then why would I want to make it? So then I went back to like, this is, they're not, I'm not solving the problem because no one's going to use. So I'm like, how am I going to do this? So I, I was racking my brain, but you know how it is? They say like the last thing you think about before you go to bed is what you're going to be thinking about. Like you kind of leave you in subconscious. I was sleeping and I'm like, ah, people do face masks. So the face masks, some of them actually come in a powder form. Is there a possibility that instead of a tablet, you could do it in a powder form and just have the active ingredients as they do in the tablet, but doing a powder form because that's because people are using masks and that means that they are more, that's more palatable because they already, it's accepted in their brain that yeah, a powder is fine. So I'm like, but is that possible? Like for, you know, your shampoo conditioner, body wash, again, more research. And as I talked to chemists then, like, um, a number of chemists went to Moana, so I talked to other universities across Australia, even overseas, um, going into skin development business and asking for referrals. And they were like, no, sorry, it's not possible because it won't dry. And if it's not dry, it will be infected. And the water that you use to actually mix it has to be like this kind of water. And people in the sort of rural communities don't have access to this kind of water. So they were like, but if you think it's possible, why don't you send me a foundation of what you think that should look like? And so I did some research. I wanted 
our formulation to be natural, you know, all, all of those things, plant-based, cruelty-free, no palm oil, and all those things. So I was able to do a formula just on the basic things because you have no idea how much research like, so many. What's, yeah. what's in a soap? What are the basic ingredients that a soap has to work, you know, for and what are the ones that and I even tried to actually do some like kitchen table, you know how like these bath bombs. So I, I got one of those that said, okay, maybe I can make a bath bomb and how does all this come together? So eventually I was going to find a like, foundation, send it to this dude, which is like, you know, the hundred person I was talking to. And it's like don't don't even pay me anything because it might not work, but I'll give me a month and I'll come back to you if it's but if, if it's working, then we need to sign an idea and everything else. So he came back and said, Yeah. It's working. I'm like, really? So we did all the paperwork and then he sent me a sample and I tried it and I'm like, shut the front door. Oh my God. I was, yeah. So that's, that was the initial hand wash. And I was like, yeah, now let's get to work. Now the work starts. (laughs) How has it been building the business from there on? A whole range of things. And this is, again, not my first rodeo, but it felt like it's been my first rodeo, actually. <laughs> it's been ex- exhilarating. It's been absolutely draining. It's been absolutely fulfilling. Very challenging. The highs have been amazing and the lows have been down below. I would not change it for the world with all the good and the bad. But one thing I know for sure that if I was doing this for money, I would have stopped it. I would have stopped doing it because the, the pain would have not been worth it. Mm. Um, but because I know I wasn't doing it just for the money per se, that led me to not give up. And because I did not give up, everything literally just changed. It has to be made to win it. But it's like, can you stay with it? And this is why you can't make compromises either. Incredible. And so what is your vision now for the future? Face up. Prisca or the world? All of the above. Really, our vision for our founding team has, has joined me, you know, since I founded this amazing team. It's like, how do we leave a legacy? How do we live when we are way gone and not on this planet anymore? How do we leave something that's going to live way beyond our lifetime? How, how can Bears of Champion and be seen as a soap, how, like, People asking how does a small thing as a soap, like the process of a ritual of washing your hands and body change the world? How is that even possible? That's beautiful. How does soap change the world? Incredible, incredible. Which brings me to my last question. How much of your life have you chanced upon, created or curated? I would say 20% chanced upon. So 20% and the rest is 50-50. Yeah, so I would say chance, yes, but really you, you can have chance and not do anything with it. That's right. And I will quote Michael Batko, it's something I bring upon my fore, my forefront every day, is how do you increase the surface for luck to strike? You have the chance. Some people don't do anything with the chance. Some people do. And some people don't even realize it's a chance. Yeah. And I think that's the difference. I'm not saying that I... I know better than somebody who didn't. I'm just saying, I'm just thinking loud that, oh my God, I never thought of it that way. But yeah. Well, thank you so much, Prisca. Like I honestly could sit and chat with you for so much longer. Um, Really enjoyed it. But thank you so much for being on the Startup Palette Show. We wish you all 
the best of luck, chance, creation, curation for your journey henceforth. And we can't wait to see how soap changes the world. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here. And if you can ever be of help, I'm always here when needed. And to give back to the community that actually given so much to me. Thank you, Prisca. Thanks for tuning in to the Startup Power Show. If you had a blast listening to this episode, come on board and join our incredible cheer squad. Spread the startup love by sharing the episode with your friends, leave us a review, or drop us your valuable feedback, comments, or burning questions. Stay tuned for our next episode, where we'll shine the spotlight on another startup superstar. I'm Preeti Mohan, and I look forward to seeing you next time.